welcome to another episode of Thick and Thin, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nithin. What's good, Nithin? What's up, man? It's my favorite time of the year, uh, Valentine's Day, my wife's birthday, an NBA All-Star Weekend coming up, just the trifecta of my three most favorite holidays of the year. So um, really excited. I love All-Star. I love what it signifies about where the league is and who are the top players. Joining us um, on this this episode is a special guest, my man Justin. We've been friends since second grade. We started an unsuccessful basketball camp together where we were the only two uh, people who signed up. Justin, welcome to the show, man. What's up, fellas? Glad to be here. Thanks so for, for those who, for those who don't know, Justin's been spending the last five years living in six years. Five years, five and a half. Five and a half years living in Tokyo, and a big part of what the NBA All-Star Game and the voting process has become is due to international uh, fandom and who they support, who China and Japan and these other countries get behind. So, Justin, let's start there. How have you seen the, the way the game is covered change uh, since you've been there? And what is it like being a fan of the NBA? Does it, do you feel like there's enough access? Do you feel like there's enough coverage? Yeah, it's definitely growing. And, uh, you know, my comments are specific to Japan. Uh, I know it's different in China and everywhere else, but it's certainly a national league, right? Like, so you go to a, an NBA store and there's five jerseys. There's always five jerseys and it's LeBron. And at one point it was a Cavs jersey and now it's a Lakers jersey. Uh, there's Curry and then the biggest one is uh, Rui Hachimura. He's literally the most, <laughs> he is, he is the most popular athlete in Japan. Uh, so it, it's pretty funny to see Hachimura right next to LeBron as like the one A and one B NBA athletes. I feel like we didn't even draft him for his on court game. Like he still can't really shoot the three or doesn't do much uh, on defense, but Damn it! If we don't have a huge following in Japan now, this is this is all Ted's genius plan. Yeah, I mean there are more Wizards jerseys than anything else. But it was pretty funny that three years ago every single person was a Warriors fan, and overnight they're all Lakers fans. I mean there's there's no Warriors fans left. They're have you met Karthik? He's similar both. <laughs> yeah. I know, Karthik, you grew up in Cleveland, but we're like back and forth with L.A., right? <laughs> and Miami. You forgot he spent <laughs> yeah, some time yeah, in Miami. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so what we're going to do, we're going to break down our all-star rosters. So the first thing that I have to say is that it's very weird timing, right? We've only actually played uh, less than half of our games at this point, which is earlier than normal for when we make these selections. The actual All-Star game itself usually happens after the midway point uh, of the season. I think it's going to happen right at the midway point, so the selections have to happen even earlier. Um, I feel like there has not been a lot of separation thus far in the league, and Karthik, you and I have talked about this. What have you seen, you know, even recently that's like, is this trending towards more towards like a normal season that we're used to, or does this still feel weird for all of the reasons that we've we've mentioned with COVID, with the empty stadiums, with the, the weird protocols. Um, and, or is it just like, look, it's still early and we're trying to make it something that it's not. It's still a little bit weird, but honestly, I like it. I like that a lot of the teams are, are bunched up together. Um, you know, someone like the New York Knicks who it started off as an early season, nice story. They started fading, but now they're still back in the thick of it in the playoff race. And so I think it's making it a little bit more exciting. 
The weird thing, though, the thing I don't like is just the the East versus West imbalance has has returned in full force. After early in the season, it looked like the East was a lot stronger. You have teams like Boston and Indiana kind of trailing off. They're both 500 now. And, and the rest of the East is just a disaster compared to the West. And it's like, for me, once again, that returns as the common theme. And it's just something that seems like we can never get away from is this imbalance. Yeah, I mean, if you look at uh, the standings right now, Boston did win tonight, actually a pretty big win over Denver. They're one of four teams that are above 500. So, you know, we're going to get into how much of a challenge it was, especially in the East, to name a roster. But it's not because of a bunch of stalwarts on great teams. It's also because they're all sort of, you know, one bad week away from going from hosting a home court game in round one to being in the play-in tournament. So, Justin, where are you at on what the league's been looking like thus far this year? Yeah, I mean, to the point on parity uh, and then the balance between East and West, uh, I think we're we're in that kind of beginning phase where you're starting to shake things up, where at the beginning everyone's all jumbled together, but by the end of the season we are going to see more of a separation where there's going to be a clear you know, seven or eight teams in the East that are, that are really playoff teams. Um, but in terms of the season overall, uh, I've, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was going to say, I think it's interesting, right? Because if you told me any one of Philadelphia, Milwaukee, or Brooklyn made the finals, I would be like, all right, well, I could buy that, right? Actually, I don't even think I could buy Milwaukee with the way they've been playing um, and how they've looked defensively all season. So really, I think it's a two-horse race at this point. So contrast to the West, it's clearly three teams that are cut above the rest with Utah and the two LA teams. And I think all of us really feel like the two LA teams are in their own echelon. And while you still have the same number of maybe true contenders, up and down the West, you're looking at like, you know, San Antonio is 16-11. Denver is the seven seed right now, 15-12. and 12. And so there's parity. But like you said, Karthik, like the West is so much deeper. Like the teams are just better. Their players are, I mean, I don't know. Like it's, the imbalance feels weird because this was trending the other direction. Durant and Harden are both now in the East. Like something's even Russell Westbrook who made all NBAs in the East now. Like it felt like it was going one way. And now what we're actually seeing is totally different. Well, and we're going to get to this with the all-star rosters. The talent distribution feels a lot more even this year. Like you look at some of the big names on the East side. And even when you go down to the the fringes of the East roster, you, you still have some really good players. Whereas, you know, it was not too long ago, Jamal McGlure was making the all-star team as like the, the 10th guy out of the East, right? So um, <laughs> the talent distribution Miller. has happened, but the records haven't followed through. And so it, it's kind of weird. And I mean, I guess a lot of that is that the Nets have three of those guys, but um, still, still interesting to see that they look more balanced on paper, uh, at least talent-wise. Do they have three? Stay tuned. Yeah, um, stay tuned. Hey, the, so, the one thing I would say about the top of the league, and I think this is across both the East and the West, um, the, one of the issues is a lot of these teams, we've seen it before, and you know it kind of wake me up in the playoffs for a lot of these teams. I'm mm-hmm. not sure I'm super psyched about the Jazz or the Sixers doing really well with the same rosters that have disappointed year after year in the playoffs. So, and, and, you know, the Bucks are the same story and the Clippers are now in year two of this. So, yeah. what, you know, it's, it's wait and see. And, on, on and that. you could honestly even put Denver in that group 
because oh, yeah, Denver's definitely. already proven that they've made a medium-sized run in the playoffs. Um, they've proven they can perform in the playoffs. But for them, it's, you know, maybe they're not a championship or bus team the same way, you know, a Milwaukee is or, a, you know, LA Clippers are. But at, at the same point, they're, I mean, they're ready to compete. Like Jokic is an MVP candidate. Murray is, is kind of as good as he's going to be. And so, yeah, I mean, it's less about the story arc still allowing us to start being like, okay, this young team with a bunch of studs is putting it together. Everyone who's a, has studs has already put it together. Now we're just waiting for like the pinnacle, which is a deep playoff run. And for a lot of these teams, a championship. So I think that's a really good point. And so the NBA struggles with this year after year. Karthik, we've talked about this a bunch, which is like, how the hell do you get people to care when the storylines are somewhat uh, manufactured and the real result, everyone knows doesn't even count till April, till May. And yes, of course, the way teams are playing right now are indicative, but Utah's 23 and 5. Does anyone seriously think that they would beat the Lakers in a seven game series? I mean, yes, you could probably find a nice advanced stat argument that 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 you know conveys that, but you're not picking Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert over LeBron James and Anthony Davis. I'm sorry, you're just not yeah. gonna do that. So then it it kind of like it's like, okay, we're watching, it's cool, like it's fun, um, but it loses its long-term purpose the way you see in an NFL where oh the Bucks are actually starting to put together wins what does this mean long term and you see it carry forward in a more meaningful way yeah the, the funniest thing um you know Drew Holiday was the big acquisition by Milwaukee right and they actually made some decent changes to that roster but it didn't feel like the monumental storyline or something that really everyone's tuning into right like, like they're still the same somewhat feel like the same team some of the same challenges um, we know they're going to be at the top of the East. And so like Justin said, a lot of these teams, it feels like they're running back the same formula. And I think part of that is they, a lot of teams had the shortened off season. Not a lot of splash moves happened in free agency outside a few, right? Chris Paul and obviously um, James Harden shortly after the season started. But a lot of these teams are just running it back. So we're kind of in this weird holding period, just waiting to see what's going to happen in the playoffs. Yeah, it's it's funny over the off season, you get so hyped about these types of moves. And you're like, I remember we were agonizing over like the Gallinari signing at the yeah. Hawks. Like that's a, that was a huge yeah. story a few months ago. And he's played like three games and they've won 11 out of their 27 games. And, you know, they're sitting in the middle of the East. Like he's wow, been to the bank. More so times exciting statement. Yeah. He, he's <laughs> cashed more checks than games played, but isn't this what we also wanted at the same time? We wanted continuity. We wanted to be able to follow teams for three to four years. Like this is what we've sort of complained about with this like player empowerment on steroids era where it's like everybody <laughs> gets pissed in a year and a half and is out. Now that they're there for some period of time, we're like, what the fuck is this? This is boring as hell. <laughs> like why won't Devin Booker put on a new jersey? Like we're just forcing guys and like Bradley Beal, like people are, I mean, for the record, I cannot even believe Beal is not demanded out, but people are literally in agony that he won't, ask for a trade from that team and it's been eight years this is his ninth year and it's a long time but at the same time like eight to nine years for for one team is not that uncommon even 10 15 years ago so maybe yeah. it's a little bit of like beware what you wish for yeah the only interesting like new team in terms of creation it was the nets right yeah and and they're they're the villains. Like no one, no one likes them. No one's, no one's excited that they're all together, other than to watch their offense. I mean, we can get into the the discussion of empowerment with Harden and Kyrie, but uh, I, I think that's probably something that we've talked about enough. Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. Nathan, let's I, I also think... not forget two months ago, you were penciling in the the Wizards as like uh for a home court <laughs> uh playoff series in Washington. So No, I said they would host how... the, no, they would host the Texas teams that didn't have power in case they needed a home play a playoffs a place to play their playoff games. It wasn't for Wizards games. Trying to be benevolent, you know, to the other teams in the league. But, but at least you got those Rui jerseys flying in Japan, right? Flying off the shelves. Yeah. So. Oh yeah, yeah. It's a consolation prize. So we just want to be a guest on Terrace House, you know. <laughs> the the Nets bring up a good point uh, as we think about formulating these teams. It's the stats are breaking my brain this season. Um, you try to make sense of what you previously thought were historic numbers across the league. The Nets are the you know the biggest example of this. And it's hard to reconcile with anything we've seen before. And yes, there's been advances in shooting and training and all, the skill level is like never seen before. But it's these same players that were there one to two years ago that weren't putting up these kinds of numbers, right? The Nets as a team are shooting 50, 40, 82 as a team, right? There have been eight players ever in the 50, 40, 90 club, right? Like Steve Nash did it a bunch, Larry Bird, et cetera. There's seven guys on pace for it this season. There are 42 players averaging over 20 points a game this year. 10 years ago, there were 19. So, I mean, I think this is, and this is important because when you're trying to shape these all-star rosters, Every guy on the team looks like Steph Curry's unanimous MVP year. And you're just like, I don't understand what to make of Zach Levine. Like, is this yeah. insane or is this like now the new the new norm? Yeah, offensive efficiency, yeah. Offensive efficiency as itself, like you can't look at the the actual numbers anymore. You have to just do everything in relatives. It has to be ranks, it has to be year over year progressions for players or for teams. Because if you just look at the numbers by themselves, everyone's amazing. I mean, everyone's great right now. Yeah. I mean, what made I mean, it most apparent for me was Colin Sexton all of a sudden <laughs> becoming a flamethrower. You know, he's a 40% three-point <laughs> shooter. And then that one game against the Nets where he was just going mano a mano, I was like, okay, this is something that's <laughs> clearly something's up because everyone's going off nowadays. I last yesterday, you know, there's a bunch of NBA on, but the two games I watched in their entirety was Rockets Wizards, right? The homecoming of John Wall and Kings Nets. And those are four teams that truly do not give a fuck about defense. Specifically, the Kings Nets game was one of the weirder basketball experiences <laughs> I've ever had. I mean, don't get me wrong, the shot making was next level, right? Like Kyrie not even looking at the basket, curling off screens, pull up three. He went nine for 11 from deep. Meanwhile, then Buddy Heald would immediately dribble down and bang. And it was just this over and over again. And I'm like, you know, you said the empty gym thing, which I think is true. There's a defensive ineptitude element. And then there's also just like, I don't know, these guys just might be really, really good. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what to make of it. But well, the, the I would not take anything away from the Kings game. I'll just say that the, their defense is uh it, it's it's like wizards like it's wizards like and how bad it is yeah it's i'm just 30th. surprised yeah i'm surprised <laughs> you didn't check out the pacers bulls you know overtime thriller i was <laughs> keeping it i was keeping an eye on that i had zach levine over under 10 and a half rebounds plus assists which is my <laughs> new favorite bet to make because it, it doesn't matter where it comes from Jokic and harden are my guys i just ride them out um all right so let's get into the teams here 
So the way it'll work uh, for those who are unfamiliar, which if you're listening to this podcast, you either like us or like basketball a lot. So I'd hope you know. But each uh, so the starters in each conference, there's two guards and three front court players, right? So in this case, unlike all NBA, they don't distinguish between centers and forwards. Also, unlike all NBA, they have specific positional designations. You can't fudge it and move guys around as, as you want. It's how they're listed on the ballot. So Ben Simmons is a guard. Jalen Brown's a guard, Jason Tatum's a forward, Jimmy Butler's a forward, et cetera. Like, we get that this doesn't all make sense, but that's just how they did it. In the bench, again, it's two guards, three front court, and then two wild cards that you can pick from any position. And of course, as we know, the leading vote-getters on each in each conference pick their actual team. So the East and West is just to create the rosters of 12 apiece, but that doesn't actually dictate what the game looks like. So the way we'll do this is... I will read you guys my starters and then my bench. And so we'll get into who you both had. I think there'll be some debate, probably not as much at the top. It feels like the very top is pretty entrenched. But I also ranked them by my, uh, I think, the certainty of which they deserve the selection. So it should be noted, this is not who we predict, but who it's who we think should make the team. You ready to go? Let's do it. All right. In the East, so the number one rank... Certainty is Joel Embiid. Uh, phenomenal year, just all around. I, I don't think this just needs much discussion, so we'll keep it moving. He's been, he's been incredible. Number two, Kevin Durant. Now, hold that thought on Durant, because he's been incredible as well, but he's starting to pile up the missed games. He's now missed, I think, 10 games as of tonight for Brooklyn. So something to keep an eye out for as we, as we progress towards the deadline. Number three, Giannis. So my three most, biggest locks are all in the front court. And then it gets interesting. I got James Harden in number four, who, despite, you know, ruining the sanctity of basketball at the start of the year, has been flat out phenomenal for Brooklyn. And then number five, Bradley Beal. Not a homer pick, but I do think he's deserving of of a starting spot. So, Karthik, let's start with you. How are you feeling about that lineup? It's not it's not bad. I got four out of five, or no three. No, actually three out of five. So I differ than uh, from you on two of them. So I go Embiid, Durant, Giannis, okay, same as you. First three. I'm going Jalen Brown. Yeah, I'm going Jalen Brown. Um, you know, obviously the offensive numbers have really popped off the page, and he's a two way threat. And then I'm going Kyrie Irving. Now Kyrie's missed some games. He's he's missed some games, but I think. He's had a phenomenal season. You're talking 50, 40, 90 club. The kind of efficiency he's putting up, the kind of eye-popping performances he's putting up. I don't think Bradley Beal deserves a spot as a starter. I don't care if he's averaging 33 points a game. We just talked about how every dude in the league is averaging 25-plus nowadays. So um, I'm penalizing him a little bit just for that the Wizards being bad and the defense, uh, and I'm putting Kyrie in that spot instead. Yeah, I split the difference with you guys. Uh, I'm basically not rewarding either of the Brooklyn guards. Oh, wow. So give me Beal. Give me Jalen Brown. Uh, you know, give me good citizens of the world. Uh, <laughs> and, and people that can somehow be good citizens and also play every game. Uh, so I, I think that's... Are they playing uh, basketball? Or are they registering people to vote? <laughs> <laughs> citizens of the world jalen brown is doing both okay he really is does he have 24 hours in his day or more possibly (laughs) well i think specifically if you look at harden i mean his points are down 
10, uh, 10 points year over year. And I, I just don't think he's a starter right now in terms of that. And then Kyrie just hasn't played enough games. So uh, we'll get to them on the bench for me, but but I, I'm I'm rewarding Beal and Brown this year. And I assume you had Duran and beat Giannis as well. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So, I would so put here's Giannis my... over Durant, but yeah. Which I think is fair. I think that's the games games played is really the, the tiebreaker there. But here's my first question. So, Justin, like to me, James Harden, since he's been in Brooklyn, has run the show. He's gotten way more touches than Kyrie, way more touches than Durant. Their offense, since he came, is the best in NBA history. Um, he He's the keys to the kingdom right now in a way that they somehow took a level up from the insane offense they had already. He's putting up a league-leading 11 assists, which I think it's two more than second place. To come into a situation to become the lead guy is very, very difficult midseason. Are you more penalizing him for what he did in Houston or for the fact that he hasn't played as much in Brooklyn and therefore in the East? Or neither because you think, just in general, like it's a different style that he's playing compared to normal years? Yeah, I mean, he's only played... So say Brooklyn's played 29 games, right? He's played 15 with them. And so if you just throw out everything before that, he's really played only half the games so far. Uh, I don't I don't really know how to consider the eight games he played in Houston because I don't really know if he knew what he was doing. He was trying some nights and other nights clearly not. Uh, he, yeah. was, he was upset and then taking a bunch of time off. So I kind of just throw out the first part of the season. Therefore, he hasn't played enough. Fair. That's my logic too. Fair. Like, I don't think Harden... I mean, I'm penalizing for his time in Houston, not for the way he left, but he what, he didn't give a shit. He was just, uh, he was loafing. He put up stats. I mean, he put up some some big scoring performances, um, but he was not the same guy we've typically seen. And so I think that was still a big chunk of his season, given that we're only, what, 25, 30 games in. Um, so I'm definitely penalizing for that. And I rightfully ripped him for what he did in Houston. I'm just watching the guy play, and I'm like, you know, maybe we have a broader conversation of does a team like Brooklyn, which is only a few games above 500, really deserve three all-stars. But when you watch these dudes play, it, I mean, Harden is one of the three best players in the conference, I think, uh, with Durant and Embiid. And that, yes, that means I'm putting Giannis at fourth at the moment. And I just look at him, I'm like, Jalen Brown, like, we're really going to put Jalen Brown over James Harden in the starting lineup of an all-star game? Like, when he was missing spots to, to you know, Steph Curry, that's one thing. Or to Kobe, that's one thing. But Jalen Brown is a first-time all-star. I can't give him Harden's spot. I'm sorry. But who's who's had a better season? Forget about who's a better player. Who's had a better season? How can I think you Harden argue? Has. Exactly. So, so what's your criteria? Is it always going to be who's a better player inherently? Or is it going to be who's done better in the last 30 games for their team to evaluate this season performance? So I think it's a, it's a, it's obviously a little bit of both. It's more so the, the latter, right? I, I'm evaluating this year's performance versus anything else. And I think Brown's been very good, but you know, when Tatum went out and even since Tatum's been back, that team has struggled. Like Jalen Brown is Jalen Brown reminds me a lot of Pascal Siakam last year where he took a similar scoring leap, um, and, and I'm not knocking him because he's on my team, right? He's, you know, we can get to the bench, but he's number six for me, so the biggest lock on the bench. But I think in terms of 
when I think about the All-Stars, and yes, I'm, I'm moving into a little bit more of an esoterical definition of what an All-Star is. I think Brown is somebody who, he's a reserve. He's the guy that he puts his hands up when they announce it. He doesn't get to do the Jabberwocky dance with the starters when they announce those. Like, come on. He wouldn't even know what to do. No, he, he'll make a big speech about, you know. <laughs> yeah, the institutions of what an All-Star game means, and Kyrie would come in. Um all right, so let's get to the bench. Um, I will read you my first four guys because I feel confident that these four guys deserve to be in. But I would say even number nine on this list can be debated. So number six, I already says Jalen Brown, right? Number seven for me is Kyrie Irving. Uh, so I do think he deserves it uh, despite his hiatus. Man, I'm actually only con- – number eight, I have Jason Tatum. Um Boston's been weird this year, but those two have been flat out incredible. And then number nine, I have Bam Adebayo. So let's stop there. What do you guys think about those four? Any argument? I mean, a couple of them are your starters. So any argument on the nine players that have been mentioned yet thus far? So I'll I'll take a – I'll start here, which is – Part of my philosophy is that the All-Star Game is a representation of the league uh, in terms of making sure a lot of teams are represented. So when you say, are three players from the Nets going to be All-Stars uh, or three players from the Jazz, for that matter, I say no. Uh, so I'm not going to put Kyrie on my team. Uh, I'd actually, if I had the opportunity, I would do the old, uh, dark night strategy, which is I would, I would crack open a, a pool, pool cue and be like, all right, guys, one of you guys has to fight it out. But, uh, uh I thought you were going to say you leave two people in warehouses and then give the wrong numbers. See who Durant saves, right? Yeah. Uh, um, that he would no. save Harden. Yeah, yeah. So I, I've got Harden basically because of that reason. I mean, I think he's a better teammate once he's got to the Nets. But it's more of just a philosophy. I'm going to keep Kyrie off of it, and I could I could see he's an actual All Star by the numbers. But for, for my purposes, I've kept him off. Karthik, yeah, what about I, you? That that is interesting. What are your thoughts on him throwing one of your starters off the team altogether? Like, I mean, I, I, I've actually been hating on Kyrie all season until I watched a couple games, and I'm like, even though he, he's missed some games, so that's a good argument against him. But I don't have a, you know, I think that's fine leaving him off. I will say my my next four are similar to yours, except I have Chris Middleton instead of Bam. Um, and that's just a nod to the Bucks being a better team. Bam has had a better season. Bam is a probably better player. But Chris Middleton, I think, has gone under the radar because – we joke so much about the Bucks in the postseason and, and Middleton always kind of underwhelms, but he's having a lights out efficient kind of year playing really well for them. Um, and I, I just, I'm going to give him the nod because the heat are just struggling too much. And, and I know they've got a lot of injury issues and it's not under Bam's control, but I think Middleton's getting slept on. So I put him at my ninth spot. Look, if the theme is of the pod and of the season is fuck efficiency, it doesn't matter because everyone has it. I watched the Bucks and I watched them tonight even versus Toronto. And this happens so often with Chris Middleton. It happened versus that battle with Brooklyn. I like him. He's a good player. And in a normal season, he's an MVP. But the last couple of years, sorry, excuse me. He's an all-star. <laughs> <was> the, last, 
<laughs> yeah, you know, he's a casual MVP candidate. Is what we have to realize. No, um, the last two years that he's made the All Star team, the Bucks have been like leaps and bounds better than everyone else in the East, and that's just not the case this year. They're sixteen and twelve. They have a middling defense. They do have an excellent offense, but I actually left Middleton off my team. Um, I know that that. Uh, yeah, I I just that's... think that like with Drew Holiday playing really well. And Giannis playing well. Middleton has done his role, and he's done it well. But when I think about how deep the All-Stars are this season, and when I think about how much better or not better Milwaukee is than the others, if it's really a matter of three or four games up in the division, does that deserve? Does that make him deserving of a spot over someone else? Like, um, you know, for example, a second Philadelphia 76er or a New York Knicks or whoever. So I think... I, I left him off, and I think you're, you're right with Bam, but look, Jimmy's missed a bunch of time, Goron's missed a bunch of time, and he's been awesome uh, and as one of the only good players they have every night. Yeah, so I've got both Bam and Middleton on the roster. So I've got them both. Yeah. Bam was in my, my 11 spot, but yeah, definitely with you that Middleton's in the top eight. I think that's a a, a lock, and I think <laughs> I think that... You know, part of the Bucks not being so elite this year is that they're not doing the typical Bud offense, and they're not just like, you know, ramming that one design down everyone's throats for the entire eighty-two game season. Uh, I think they're going to experiment more with Middleton being the creator, uh, different roles for each each player, and so you're going to see some losses, but. Uh, I don't think that's actually them being worse right now. Uh, so I, I think Middleton is is actually taking a step up in terms of his role on the team, but maybe the team's not being, uh, it's not showing as, as elite so far. No, I mean, I agree. I think they're doing the same thing defensively too, right? They used to always play the drop style and now they're trying to switch more because that's what's going to be necessary in the playoffs. And they've seen that they've gotten burnt, you know, two years in a row now. But if you look at Chris Middleton... Is he doing the Jabberwocky? No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I had him in there until today, and honestly, I was pissed because he burned my fantasy, fantasy team. But You're prisoner yeah. of the moment, always. No, I mean, he, it sounds... Go ahead. He hasn't been, like... Okay, he hasn't been that great to deserve one of my coveted... I sort of... I, I, I want to see who you got... I want to see who you got in the 10 through 12 spots because I'm going to rip you apart for someone you've got over Middleton for sure. Okay, so so, so to recap, I had Kyrie, Jalen, Tatum, Adebayo. You had all those guys, Karthik, I had, including the I had starters. Bradley Beal in my sixth spot. Right. Then um, I had Harden, Tatum, Middleton. Or actually Tatum, Harden, Middleton through nine. And then Bam was my 10th. But yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, and I've just... got so I've since I'm not putting one of the third net on the roster, I've done the the Kyrie approximation uh, with Trey Young as my second guard. Uh, as mm. you know, I don't have it ranked six through ten. I just have it as like a second team. So he's he's basically the the second guard on the on that. And I've got Bam on the roster, but he's one of the wild cards. He's not okay, and I I want to hold hold the thought on Trey Young because I I yeah. think yeah. he. It's him versus Zach Levine for me. Um, and maybe yeah, happy to talk you, about Zach Levine being not on the roster. <laughs> oh, but 10 for me is Julius Randle, which uh, 
who has been playing amazing. Tibbs is running him into the ground. He's about to give him a spinal <laughs> tap a la Luol Deng in 2015 or 14. But for now, he's an all-star. And my two wild cards, Zach Levine at 11, Ben Simmons at 12. And I was on the fence, and I sort of hate Ben Simmons to my core, but I just... Are there two more, like, Nithin players in the league? (laughs) I don't even know. I'm just obsessed with length and athleticism and potential. (laughs) Ben Simmons is going to be in year 16. I'm going to be like, he could almost... If he just get that three-point shot, he could average 25 a game. So I went back and forth on Ben Simmons. I really wanted to add... uh, Either Chris Middleton or actually Gordon Hayward were probably my two next up. And I just think Simmons being on the number one seed and Bede's missed some time, which they haven't actually been good when he set sits, but they are I thought that they deserved a second team, second player because they've they've been the class of the East. And I'm less hung up on whether someone on a below five hundred team makes it or if if Ben Simmons makes it. So that's what I have. Who would you guys have in your last couple spots? And then let's get into where we differ. I have Randall at 11. So Bam was 10 for me. I got Randall at 11. I, I just think he's had an incredible season and the Knicks are still uh, competing in, for that playoff spot. So um, yeah, they're seventh right now or sixth. And, and he's taken his, his game has taken leaps both offensively and defensively. And I think that deserves uh, some recognition. And then my uh, last one is Ben Simmons. I thought that would be controversial. I'm also a big Simmons guy. Here's how I look at it. I I think the problem with the reason people are down on Simmons this year is because he hasn't taken a leap. Offensively, though, he's he's averaging a point less. His numbers aren't that down across the board as people are making them out to be offensively. And he's going to be defensive player of the year. Like, I really think so. And I I think if you're going to be defensive player of the year, you have to be on the all-star team. There's no way... A defense player of the year is going to be left off or should be left off. And um, you know, I look at Trey Young, Levine. These guys are all a lot of empty stats to me. Not empty stats, but a lot of the, because so many players across the board are having these high efficient, uh, high efficiency seasons. I don't think they've really done enough to differentiate themselves. But Simmons, at the end of the day, uh, what he's done defensively, the way he's been locking up, you know, guards, wings, you know, everyone left and right. Uh, I think is commendable, and and he's still doing just enough offensively. The last uh, he dropped forty two the other night with him beat out, um, so he can, and I think he'll start to do that more as the season goes on. And so I give him the last nod. So, so just let me ask you, Trey over. Okay, finish your roster out, and then I want to know the case for Trey over Levine, and I want to see if you have Simmons or not. Because if you don't, then that would be the next question. Yeah, so <clears throat> it's interesting. I I thought that Trey and another guy in my roster would be less controversial. I had them both in the top 10, not even in the, the wild card spot, which are Trey and Vucevic. I mean, I've got I got Vooch. Uh, you know, he's my my second team center, I guess so you'd call it. But uh, and then I had Randall and Bam as the eleven and twelve. So um, I I think the guy has been dragging this, you know, not even G League roster into yeah. a mediocrity just by being an incredibly efficient player, uh, scoring and, and, you know, even doing some playmaking. So uh, that's my, my, you know, six through 12 is Harden, Trey, Middleton, Tatum, Vucevic, Randall, Bam. 
No love for Sabonis? That's your guy. I, I've actually, yeah, I'm actually surprised because Sabonis was on my team until a week ago, and he's been tailing off a bit. But I figured Dude. you didn't watch those games. So I watch enough Pacers to know that Sabonis kind of feasts on empty stats a bit, where you know you can watch the whole game and not be aware that he's put up a 25 and 15, mm-hmm. uh, and and. Like he's in all of the right places and doing all of the right things, but he's not, it's almost like if you plug, if you made a robot that just was designed to do the right things in the right moments, it would do exactly what Sabonis is doing, but he's not adding any unique value. It's hard to explain, but no, I think that's true. And when he plays against smaller guys, he bullies them. And when he plays against big centers, he struggles. And That plus the fact that his shooting didn't really take the leap. Look, I had Sabonis ranked as a better player than Vucevic because I got a little carried away with the first half of the first half of the season. I think Vooch, to your point, I mean, with no Markel Fultz, with no Jonathan Isaac, with other injuries up and down the roster, Mo Bamba still taking a roster spot. Like his numbers for a pretty bad Orlando team are special. But to me, I was like, Beal gets a spot, and they're the second worst team in the East. Other than that, everybody else is either playing or above or right on the cusp. And that was my logic to say, okay, you have to somewhat be playing winning basketball. Um, though you could argue Vooch's situation is the same as Beal. It's a great player on a team that he can't control. So I think with Trey. The Trey that's been- better than the Wizards, by the way. Uh. Yes, that's true. <laughs> if we're going by records, but if we're going by vibes, that's not actually it's true by vibes also. Um, <laughs> Trey, Obama, baby. <laughs> to me, Trey has been afforded a better situation than Zach Levine this year, and has underperformed compared to those expectations and compared to his environment. Like Wendell Carter's been hurt, Laurie Markin has been hurt in in Chicago, and like they're not great, but they're also not shitty like they normally are. And Levine's king of the, like, Devin Booker passed him the crown for a good stats, bad team captain. It's He's sharing it with Carl Anthony Towns right now. But I think if you watch the Bulls and you watch Levine, they're actually more competitive when he's on the floor in a way that's actually not just like he's just chucking. Um, I think at least. Uh, so, which is crazy because, like, dude, we haven't even named some guys who a lot of people have on their ballots. This just shows you what a clusterfuck this is. Yeah. I mean, Zach Levine hit a three last night with, or two nights ago uh, with 25 seconds left to go up by one and eventually went to overtime and beat the Pacers. So I'm kind of like taking him off the team (laughs) as a punishment. (laughs) Yeah, no, but I I think (laughs) if two weeks ago, probably I think Trey would have been more obvious as a selection. And in the last two weeks, bulls have performed better. Levine is is definitely sticking out as someone who his game is evolving, whereas the Hawks have been struggling uh, for the last couple of weeks. But I think Trey, his stats are different. Like it's not just a pure scoring and threes kind of uh, performance, but he's he's learning how to become the the game manager that he needs to be. Uh, so I, yeah, I, I can see that. But I. Honestly, yeah, if you give it another week or two, I could see Levine sw- swapping out. Right. There. Trey's defense is just such a 
I mean, he's small and he doesn't try, which is a bad combination. You got to <laughs> at least have one of the two. Like you either need to be have size or have some level of effort. Karthik, who was your biggest snub? Because I'm looking at this list. I have 11 names that all have legitimate merit, some which you guys have both put on your teams, but others, you know, Gordon Hayward, Tobias Harris, Jeremy Grant, Malcolm Brogdon, like other guys who could be in consideration. For me, my the ones who just missed the cut were Trey Young, because, I mean, he's still having a, a great season. Um, my problem with Trey Young, though, is obviously defense and off his off ball is still not, he doesn't play great off ball. Like that's something he still needs to work on. I don't think he's taken that next leap in his game yet. Uh, Zach Levine, obviously for every reason you mentioned and Fred Van Vliet Uh, and Van Vliet more is just the Raptors team is not doing that well, but I, you know, had no idea Van Vliet could carry this kind of one, a scoring role on the Raptors. Uh, never thought he'd be that kind of player. And he's done just that. Um, and, and been really valuable for them despite them struggling, for most of the season. So those are my three just missed the cut. Yeah. Van Van Vliet. Vliet. Incredible. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I'm just going to say he's the, you know, the stat heads, you know, incredible on off uh, court numbers. And, you know, he and Conley keep showing up in all of the 538 <laughs> top yeah. rankings. And you're like, something is wrong with these numbers. <laughs> I mean, 538 system is literally called Raptor. So yeah, yeah, yeah. if it didn't favor Van Vliet, I would question what was... <laughs> and of course, you know, Zach Lowe put Van Vliet on his team over Zach Levine because he was like, in game seven of the playoffs, who would you rather yeah. have? And it's like, yeah, well, if I had Yeah, like if I had the fucking 2019 Raptors, then sure, I'd take Van Vliet, but that's not the situation. <laughs> Right. That is a whole separate topic about how we evaluate and the roles in which we evaluate and the circumstances that I don't want to get into right now, but it's a criminal flaw in our in our process and the way we talk about basketball. So Yeah. All right, By the way, just, can I can I yeah. quickly go into last year? We didn't talk about last year's all star. Oh games. yes. Yeah. Uh so you asked us before this to just say like, hey, what was your takeaways? And I we can get into the game and the Elam ending and all that. But the only thing that I wanted to mention was Giannis doesn't know who's good at basketball. Like (laughs) his team was uh, embarrassing compared to LeBron's team. The the starters starters last year, Kemba Walker, Trey Young, Giannis, Pascal, and Embiid. I mean, (laughs) that I understand the starters, you know, our fan selected and all that stuff. But like, what happened to the NBA last year? How, why were Kemba <laughs> why were Kemba and Pascal starting? No, it's so true. So you think about guys, like there's probably four guys, five guys that are perennial all-stars that were injured. Kyrie, KD, Steph, Clay, and Wall. All of them had probably in the last five years before that had made the all-star team every year. Wall? Wall? Uh, Wall is- <laughs> Just snuck that in there. What do you mean? <laughs> Well, are we going to ignore that he was a five-time selection right before last season? Just going to conveniently forget that point? Five-time when? I mean, he was drafted 11 years ago, right? In my 2K (laughs) franchise. No, he made it from 2014 to 2018. So he didn't make it 19 or 20. But he didn't play in 20. Anyway, point being, a lot of key guys were missing. And you had a lot of, like, come-ups. Like, first-time All-Star Siakam. First-time All-Star Jason Tatum. You know, a, a bunch of dudes who didn't really, like, hadn't arrived yet. Um, first time also Donovan Mitchell, stuff like that. Now guys maybe are a little bit more entrenched. Um, 
But it was, I think last year was a weird transitional year, which is why LeBron got his Mickey Mouse ring. But um, I think this year it feels a little bit more settled, like the powers are back in place. Yeah. I mean, we just went through the East and these guys didn't make it that were on it last year. Sabonis, Butler, Lowry, Siakam, Kemba, uh, you know, Trey on both of your guys' rosters. So you're looking at almost 50% turnover just that's, in the East. That's wild. That's really crazy. Um, and you could argue like maybe a guy like Beal deserved it last year and didn't get it. And KD came back. I mean, so it's like somewhat circumstantial, but I, and I told you this, remember Karthik, I said last year, Savonis felt like a filler all-star more than a real one. And this year I thought he was playing his way into a real bonafide lock and it slipped a bit, but I mean, that's why there are certain echelon of players that you see, but all right. So Quick recap of the East. I had Beal, Harden, Durant, Embiid, Giannis, Kyrie, Jalen, Jason, Bam, Randall, Levine, and Simmons. Karthik, what'd you have? I had Embiid, Durant, Giannis, Jalen, Kyrie, Beal, Tatum, Middleton, Harden, Bam, Randall, and Simmons. Yep. I had uh, Brown, Beal, Durant, Giannis, Embiid, Harden, Trey, Middleton, Tatum, Vucevic, Randall, and Bam. So I think we roughly had nine or yeah. 10 guys that were the same per team. So I think that's what it's going to be. The West, okay, let's move to the West because I think this is, there are six players that you, you're you trying to fit into five slots for the starters. Um, I don't feel great about where I landed, but I'm going to just roll with it. Uh, one is Jokic um, in terms of my confidence rank. Two, LeBron. Three, Kawhi. So same as the East and that my top three were... Uh, were front court four Steph Curry and five Luka Doncic. Okay, I think there's one credible debate here. Yeah, I mean this one, like you said, there's six. Like for me, I had uh, Jokic number one, then LeBron, then Steph, then Kawhi, and then I put Dame uh, in that fifth spot. Yeah, yeah, I'm the same. I went Lillard in five. Uh, I'm not going to be the white guy that puts Doncic in over Lillard. So, <laughs> and Steph who's like almost white. So, I'm just yeah. and Jokic. Yeah, my my wife, uh, her original favorite player is Steph, and so we we were following them for a while. But she has converted to being a Damian Lillard fan, uh, partially because of, yeah, partially because of his good looks. So I'm not sure if I'm, you know rooting for him or just you know it's a close call in terms of, have you have you introduced her to devin booker <laughs> you talk about good looks i mean yeah. starts and ends there there's a um, famous podcast about a story about devin booker but i don't know if you know uh, no we, we've, we've talked about we it we tried we tried to talk about it but i was such a prude that i like curled up and gave this like g-rated explanation i was like they're all hanging out and then they went home yeah 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 <laughs> So I think after that story, you know, Devin Booker is not super, uh, <laughs> super not high in the Bengalist, not high in the Bengalist household. So yeah, if I could make one case for Luca over Dame, I think if you look at the Mavericks roster outside of him, with Porzingis being out for a bulk of the year, a lot of COVID, a lot of injuries, he's had maybe one of the worst teams around him of any top star. Dame has missed CJ, he's missed Nurkic, but he still has Covington. Melo's playing at a high level. 
You know, there's a Gary Trent's played well. And I just think Luca is not the shooter, nowhere near the shooter Dame is, but he's better at almost everything else. He's a better playmaker. He's a better rebounder. I think just given his size, he's better defensively. And I know Portland's played better and probably has a three or four game lead on Dallas right now, but I attribute that more to who's been around Luca more than I think Luca's suffered. He came into the league, came into the season a little out of shape, but the last like, you know, 15, 20 games, he's been lights out. Yeah, I mean, he's he's definitely turned it up a notch. Uh, his three-point shooting has improved dramatically, Lucas, over the last couple of weeks. So he's trending up. I just think that he his season is still very much similar to last season. Um, I think Dame, the unique thing he's done this year is he's been um, just unbelievably clutch. Like, if you look at all the, the stats, clutch stats, um, yeah. he's, like, ranking at the top. And, I mean, we know the story with Dame. He does this year in and year out. We want to see it in the playoffs. I've been the biggest Dame hater and skeptic. Um, and you've heard, you know, my comments about the Blazers. But I think given that they're roughly equal, I had to take the better team and just some of the things that he's been doing this season that have been more impressive to me than Luca. Yeah, this is another one. If you gave it another two weeks, maybe Luca's, you know, vaulted over Dame just on their, their current trajectory. But uh, looking at the entirety of the season, I've got Lillard slightly. And they, they played Sunday and uh, Portland won and Dame hit essentially the game winner. So maybe that's that's all it needed to be said. So, Justin, as a tangential Steph fan, how amazing has it been to see him basically come back to MVP Steph levels? Like he his numbers look pretty similar to, to 2015, 2016. Yeah, I mean... I've been thinking about this, like, what do people like Steph, Draymond, and Steve Kerr do with their lives, like, for the next five, ten years, where they're going to be in the NBA, but, like, they're not really competing for championships, and they've won a bunch, and their, like, legacy's already been, uh, you know, cemented, so, right, so they're just the ultimate, like, house money team, and just watching them play and have fun, and watching Steph get back to that level of elite shooting and playmaking. Uh, it's been, a, it's been awesome to watch. It's just kind of fun. I, I don't think they actually pose a threat to anyone. And I don't think anything that they're doing is super meaningful. And I actually think they believe that too. Uh, they're, they're, they're almost like the in league commentators on the rest of the league, right? They're, they're the ombudsman. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to zag for a second. I actually think it's kind of miserable to be Steph. And Draymond, because to your point, their legacy has been cemented. Zach, so hard from my point. <laughs> I'm going to kind of deviate, but agree, but also go the complete opposite direction. Yeah, so, a great point. Yeah. I think it must suck to play at this level, especially for Steph, and be like, shit, instead of Clay Thompson, I got Kelly Oubre clanging threes right now. And I'm still playing at a level that I can win championships at. And I know that his legacy is cemented, but I think winning never gets old, right? Winning never gets tiring. You're never like, I've gotten enough, especially when you also get the money. When you don't have to make that choice, you're not a role player, winning never gets old. And I think for him, I'm going to be really interested to see how the Warriors build around him because Joe Lacob has spared no expense. I think their tax bill from that Kelly Oubre trade was $86 million just for the $14 million he makes times the repeater tax that they pay. So... They're going to have to pony up, but at the same time, they're not good enough with who they have around Steph, like you said, to be contenders. So 
Karthik, you got your finger on the pulse in the Bay. Like to me, everyone's having fun with the resurgence Steph season, but it's also like, is it worrisome long-term that he's as good as he is and they're not, I mean, they're not in the mix. No, I mean, I'll tell you what the people in the Bay think. The Bay fans are are convinced that they're going to make a move or two and they're going to get, um, you know, the, maybe those move wise men. They think they're still going to be in contention. They think the Warriors can make a move or two and vault right back there, right? And and for them, it's promising to see Steph playing this well uh, because there were questions, right? I mean, we knew he was still great, but would he be back to that MVP level type season, which was five years ago, which is, you know, that's a, a long time in the NBA, um, so it's promising to see him back in, in form like that. So I think they're okay with it. And it's just the reality of the situation. That roster is not that great. I'll tell you as a, as someone who's been rooting against the Warriors for a while and, and seeing LeBron have to run into them every year, I'm loving this. I'm loving Steph go for 57 and they lose like get, get used to it. You don't have Kevin Durant. You don't have the luxury of one of the most talented teams ever get used to putting up big stats and losing games. You should not lose. That's Welcome to the live. Right, stop LeBron yelling at us. We're not Warriors fans. We like the Wizards and Pacers. Yeah, when I should be getting your sympathies right now. I, no, I, I think one. Yeah, go ahead. I want to understand why two people like LeBron and Steph, they're so likable, like genuinely don't like each other. Like it's it's one of the weirdest. Like I don't like you, but I like everyone else. Kind of relationships that I've ever seen. Like what's what's the story behind that? I, I, I need I, to know. I don't, I don't know if they don't like each other. I think LeBron didn't like all the attention Steph was getting, um, and they're also just kind of they operate a little bit differently. Um, to, say to, to say the least. To say the least. Like LeBron's no, boys I, with Draymond and and guys like that, but I don't know him and Steph never. No, yeah, I think they do weird. actually dislike each other. I don't think it's just about the. I think, I, I, like think I think there's a I think there's a few factors. One is it probably started with. Steph becoming the darling of the league, like you said, Karthik, at the time where LeBron's like, wait a second, I'm still the best player, like, by far, right? Two, after 2016, the spoils of that victory were so immense, he couldn't even rest his laurels on it because they went and freaking signed Kevin Durant. So all of a sudden, what was a rivalry that LeBron was sure he was going to win, and, you know, the Warriors and Cavs were going to meet in the finals again next year. And a lot of people say that 2017 Cavs team was better than the 16 team. You know, you put them against the 17 Warriors that have Harrison Barnes and Bogut instead of Durant, they probably win the second title, right? So I think he was just really, really angry at the way – there was circumstance stuff of really angry at the way that the Warriors pushed ahead of him and sort of, like, you know, diminished his legacy a bit. But I think Steph's bravado, Steph's, like, shimmying, Steph's kind of, like – quiet and, and a lot of guys around the league don't like him for this reason i think he has this subtle cockiness where it comes across as humility until you see it and it's definitely arrogance just the way everybody else is but it's painted in a different light and there's a lot look there's a lot of racial undertones and there's stuff like i think um who was it that uh was it Shaq that called himself a black steph curry or so he called someone the black steph curry right and it's like that's i mean look that's the reality of the way things are, are perceived I think Steph is a product of, you know, the media is on one side being like, oh, my God, how did this, you know, how did this like make a wish kid from Davidson become the best player in the NBA? And it's like his dad was like one of the best shooters of all time. And he grew up with a silver spoon, literally training from the best shooting coaches in the world. So what are we talking about? 
And, you know, you look at LeBron, it's like he actually did grow up on the streets and did grow up in the projects, but because he's physically gifted somehow, it was easier for him. And I think that also adds an element to it. So, yeah, I know. I agree with that. I, I, I think so. I, I definitely think he has some kind of resentment towards stuff. I don't think they actually have beef, though. I don't think it's a it's just they don't they're not like tight. But yeah, yeah. he doesn't have a problem with them. All right, so let's go to the. Bench. We'll see. We'll see who gets drafted. We'll see if uh, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, if, if LeBron's one of the captains this year, we'll see. Yeah, has goes. Steph ever oh, picked that's true. LeBron or vice versa? I think LeBron's been a captain every year, but Steph hasn't. So has, has LeBron ever picked Steph? Has he had the option? I don't know. We got to get the research team on that. <laughs> yeah, I'm just looking at last year, and obviously Steph wasn't playing. So yeah, I'd, and I think the years yeah. before that, those both might have been the captains. Yeah, um, yeah. They this year, I think it's going to be LeBron and KD if current results stand. Mm-hmm. All right. So for my sixth spot, I have Lillard. I assume you both have Luca. Um, so I think we're probably aligned on the top six. Seven, I said Rudy Gobert, um, defensive player of the year candidate, twenty three and five. The Jazz are mowing everyone down. Eight, your boy Paul George. Um, He's now starting to rack up missed games as well, um, which is something he did last year and I think left him off the team. But I think as of now, they're going to announce, you know, in the next week, I think he still qualifies. And nine, I have Anthony Davis. Same. Any I got same. deviances? <laughs> deviance? Is that the right word? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know I, I I that same. way. But, but yeah, I, those, are the, those are six through nine. Okay. So let's keep in mind, Anthony Davis is likely to not play uh, with the Achilles injury. He's, he sort of has been nursing. So we can, we can, we can name a 13th player, which is maybe a bit more useful in the East than the West. But uh, so we can keep that in mind. So here's where it gets dicey. 10, I have Zion Williamson. 11, I have Devin Booker. And 12, I have Donovan Mitchell. So, All right. Uh, I, I've got, I, uh, go ahead, Karthik. All right. Uh, Donovan Mitchell at nine. Or are we at nine or ten? Ten. Because we had Luca, PG, Dame, yeah. Rudy, and Davis, yeah. depending on Dame and Luca. Yeah, Devin Booker at 11, and De'Aaron Fox in the last oh my spot. God. So that's the Malcolm Brogdon in the pick. Yeah, <laughs> Malcolm the Brogdon inaugural. You didn't even save him for the 13th spot that you could be given. You yeah, said no, no, he, he doesn't barely get it. He gets in comfortably. So who yeah. did you not have? Did you not have Zion from their top 12? Yeah, Zion's not in my top 12. Okay. And Justin, what about you? Yeah, I, the same, I mean, it, I think it's three sets of teammates uh, that you have to debate. Um, you know, for... For purposes of debate, you include Conley or Mitchell, and you side with Mitchell. Uh, so I, that's where I went. Um, and then number eleven, it's either Zion or Ingram, and pick Zion. So I picked Zion. Mm-hmm. And then the final one, either Booker or Chris Paul, and I went CP3. So I think. Oh, uh, interesting. If you look okay. at year over year. I know Booker was in the All Star game last year, but. There's been basically no change in his performance. He looks like the same. He's not actually controlling the ball as much, but he's scoring the same, shooting the same. Uh, So you could say, well, if he was an all-star last year, he's an all-star this year. But all of the improvement in the team 
is coming from Chris Paul joining the team and leading the team. And so people that may be riding Booker and saying, oh, he's he's leading the Suns to, you know, great performances. I think it's all coming from Paul. Yeah, I was deba- so let's start here. My 13th man to replace Anthony Davis is Chris Paul. Okay. Um so I think that so who are your guys? Karthik, who's your 13th? I'm going with Zion. You're going with Zion. Okay. And then And then I, I go Ingram over Booker. So, I had Ingram in, okay. in there as 13. So, yeah, and those were probably like De'Aaron Fox and Ingram are my two next up. So I think we have roughly the same top 15. So it's now a matter of, okay, who do you cut off? I think for me, Paul unlocked something with this Suns team. Like you said, it's basically the same roster. Swap out Ricky Rubio, swap in Chris Paul. He did this exact thing in Oklahoma City. He turned Houston from like a decent team to a 65-win team. This is just what he does over and over again in every stop. I think his shooting has fallen off a little bit. It's starting to recover. Um, I think him and Booker, look, Booker didn't play well to start the year. I think he was still trying to figure out how the hell do I play next to a guy like Chris Paul who dribbles pounds, pounds, pounds for 18 seconds. And I think they're starting to figure out. And now Phoenix looks really dangerous. Um, For the last like two, three weeks, I think they look really good to a point where I wasn't sure if they got either all-star. I had Ingram in originally. I even considered DeMar DeRozan um, because San Antonio is playing so well. And I got to go with with now what I, th- I see to be a clear top four in the West with Phoenix joining that. And I think for that reason, I think they get their second all-star uh, with the Anthony Davis replacement. So, Karthik, why Fox over Zion other than the fact that you may be wearing his jersey underneath that sweatshirt? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I put Zion on the list, right? So, um, As a, I, for, for, here, here's the case. Any replacement. Well, here's what I'll say about Zion. Okay, one of the things, the reason I picked Zion over Ingram, because that was a tough one too. Zion, uh, defensively, you know, I trashed him, I think, on the last part of the pod before, because he's been so bad defensively, and he's still very limited offensively. We haven't seen him at his potential. But the fact that is he's been, you know, 65% true shooting. He's been so, such a force down in the paint. And one interesting thing I noticed was, if you look at the top 10 PER or top 11, PER. Mm-hmm. He's eighth, and all the other ten guys surrounding him are all all-star projected starters. Like there are the guys we selected as starters are all the top ten in PER, and Zion's right there in the middle. And there are a lot some other advanced stats that love Zion too. And so I I, I thought you know give him the nod for taking his game to another level. Well, Ingram kept his roughly the same. Um, Fox. Here's my case for Fox. Now. On paper, the stats are great, but uh, the thing I think that gets him in is he's made a leap in terms of becoming a three-point, more of a three-point threat, and and that's what's really unlocked his game. So the fact that he's taking over five threes a game now and hitting it at 35%, um, teams have to guard him, and it's opening things up for the entire offense. And the Kings have, have struggled a little bit recently, but Fox has been a monster fourth-quarter performer, um, clearly the guy who drives that team, and when he's off the floor uh, – it, we suffer. Um, and so I think I'm going to give him the nod just for that leap he's taken this year. And, and I don't think anyone else has excited me as much um, out of the rest of the candidates. Why, but of I'm course, I'm a why homer. did you just put Tyrese Halliburton on while you were at it? Uh, he's yeah, on my I, like 15th. I, he's my 15th spot. I only get <laughs> Kings. Con- I only get Kings content through Simmons. So I, I thought they were trying to shop Fox. <laughs> 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 it was like clear room. 
a week into Tyrese's career, Simmons was literally yeah, like, yeah. what if they don't think Fox is the guy and they can't play together? Yeah. Um, I think it's pretty rich, Karthik, for you to be talking about Zion's defense when Fox is the point guard of the worst defense in NBA history statistically right now, um, who has a defensive rating of 120 points per 100 possessions. So, How much defense did John Wall play in that five-year all-star run you talk about? Point guard defense he, is overrated. We know that. He played defense from being traded to the West so that he could keep making the East <laughs> team. That's why Mike Conley has never made the all-stars. Yeah, to um, be honest with you, I didn't even have Fox in my next five players listed. Like, I, I just completely overlooked him. I mean, I had DeRozan, Conley, <laughs> Booker, Christian Wood, and I know Christian Wood's been out, uh, yeah. and then SGA. Who SGA is, like, you know, in everyone's all-star lineup now. Dude, if you he listen is to deserving. SGA no, is no, 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 no. If you're going to put Fox, I mean, if you're going to talk about SGA, why, why just, you know, put it Wait in a second, wait a second. Wait a second. Oklahoma City was predicted by everybody to finish at the bottom of the barrel, like by a long stretch. They're a competitive team this season. They have a better record than Sacramento or right around there. They literally traded any player with a pulse to, to crew first round picks. And if you look at even raw numbers, SGA is right on par with, with Fox, but he's a better rebounder and he's a way better defender. Now, I'm not saying he's necessarily like the de facto better player, but to say that you would pick him over Fox is not that crazy. There's no, I, 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 it's not crazy at all, but there's no expectations with that OKC team. Like Fox has relied on to carry this Kings team night in and night out and expected to win. Um, there's no expectations with that OKC <laughs> team. Who, who cares about the expectations? I'm talking about the results here. They're they're literally they have a better record than them. SGA can think, do whatever he wants on that team, and no one's going to bat an eye, right? There's so much pressure on Fox, and then I'm going to bump. I'm going to give him the bump because of the expectations and the burden. Yes, thick and thin. <laughs> For me, first uh, thing for giving up 140 to the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, my yeah. my theory is OKC is kind of like the it's a rest team for everyone else. Like they keep, yeah. they keep running into teams that are like not really paying attention. Like they didn't even know they had a game that night. And, and all of a sudden we're supposed to be saying, SGA is amazing. Yeah. He just beat the <laughs> second string of, you know, someone else. I thought that was the weather report. I didn't realize we're playing the thunder. Um, that's bad. I'm sorry. Did they win tonight? Oh, they lost to Portland. They actually had made a run and took the lead and ended up losing to, to Dame time. Um, yeah, I think, uh, Justin, you mentioned between the two of you mentioned everyone else that was on my like next up list, but I do feel much better about the 12 and I think even the 15, let's say than I do in the, in the East. I don't know what that means. I think it just means like the good teams have good players versus the wet East. We're trying to figure it out, but, um, let's just say thank you. Thankfully they have the draft because this would be potentially, you know, steamrolling if, if not though i don't know kd and, and harden we'll see well kd's gonna what pick else? a bit to justin's point like last year Giannis just picked a god-awful team and it was still competitive uh kd's gonna pick you know some good players i think Kyrie and harden are gonna default be on his team I think every KD pick is has some sort of personal animosity yeah. or, or you know there's meaning behind it there's Will some Steph? Steph? what if none of them pick Steph what if Steph goes last between LeBron and KD 
KD will pick Steph like too early just to show that they're tight. Yeah, because, because he doesn't want there. people to say they're not tight. So yeah, all right. Say this is our top. Say this is our starters, and let's just say Jalen Brown is one of the starters, and and Curry's one of the starters. Do you think that one of those guys would pick Jalen Brown over Curry? Like, it really make him the last pick? <laughs> Look, remember the year like DeRozan kept racking up, racking up starts. They would pick DeRozan over Steph. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. <laughs> That was a lost time in NBA history when yeah. LeBron went through the vaunted East of DeMar DeRozan starting the All-Star game every year. <laughs> yeah, by the way, I was doing the research, and for some reason, Basketball Reference has DeRozan listed as a power forward. And I was like, I've really not watched any San Antonio if he's a power forward. It started in the bubble, actually, last year. They didn't have Aldridge, and they didn't have a bunch of their guys, and they were just like, fuck it, we're going to play this like crazy lineup. And it worked. And so I think yeah. they're trying to do that more. And I mean, what are positions at this point? Um, all right. So that's let's go back. Here's here's the West team. I think we can we all have Curry, and I'm not going to say the starters necessarily. We all have Curry, Doncic, Kawhi, Jokic, LeBron, Lillard, Paul George, Rudy Gobert, Anthony Davis. Do we all have Donovan Mitchell? We don't, right? Yeah, we do. We do. Oh, we do. We, we are, do. so we're ten at we're, we've got matching on ten spots. I have Zion and Booker. Karthik, you have, with Chris Paul as my 13th, Karthik, you have Fox and Booker. Booker with Zion Zion as your 13th. And then Justin, you have Zion. I've got Zion and CP3. And then I had Ingram, but that was kind of a last second scratch. I'm going to replace him with Booker. Like, let's go Booker. Let's reward the Suns. Okay. So So Booker at 13th. Yeah, I, and I think that makes sense. So really, it's Fox is the black sheep of this group. Um, no, I think Fox, look, Fox has had an awesome year. Uh, and I'm glad that he's turned into a player that's not just like, oh, this is a crazy highlight, but he's also 6 of 18 with five turnovers. I think I like that he's much more consistent than he ever was in his career before this. So that's a nice turn for the Kings, I think. And Bagley, yep. hey, Bagley's starting to look okay mm. at times. He's a role player. He's not a, a core Cordy yeah, Miami. but he had like a nice step back three last night against Harden. I was like, yeah. damn, I didn't know he could do that. I think he'd play nice next to SGA. Send him How, off. Who wouldn't? I mean, who wouldn't? Halliburton. Halliburton, though, you know, you joke about Halliburton. He's going to be a perennial all-star. In, Isn't uh, Halliburton the next SGA? No. Yeah. They, they're similar games. They're, nope, they're just they smart, petty players, good defenders. No, 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 no. Hall- Halliburton's way smarter. Ways, so would you, do you give them both the test? How the fuck do you know that? <laughs> it's the eye test, man. <laughs> no, Halliburton is gonna be good. I don't, I don't know huge brains. <laughs> like I said, Kings need Bagley to be something he's not. Otherwise, it, it could spell trouble. But all right, last thing to talk about, really quickly, the Draymond comments from last night. So Draymond essentially was was upset that he was the you know, Warriors were playing the Cavs. He was upset that. Um, Andre Drummond was being rested, essentially against his will, maybe, as they try to find trade partners. And in general, his broader point was around why, you know, players who want trade trades get unfairly painted as a villain. When teams do this, it's considered smart strategy. Um, Karthik, I know you had some thoughts here. Where, like, 
go say your piece first, and then I want to come in with I think how I'm approaching this. But go. What was your reaction? I get his general point, but I don't think the way he justified it made any sense at all because he talks about Harden first of all um, as his example of a player who has been dragged through the mud. His name's been dragged through the mud because, and he acknowledged Draymond even acknowledged, oh yeah, he maybe he dogged it a little bit. Well, yeah, that's the that's the problem. He dogged it. Yeah. He let his teammates down. Um, look, a guy like Harden could have easily made trade demands, easily got them fulfilled, and still been the good soldier and played games. It's not like Anthony Davis did that with the Pelicans. Um, he made a whole hoopla, and obviously Pelican fans don't like how he left either, but he, when he played, he played well, and then the Pelicans shut him down. Uh, and I, I don't see how Harden as an example was really getting to Draymond's point because at the end of the day, all the stars in the league have the power to get what they want. Like this, this whole notion of, oh, the teams have this power and it's okay and the players don't, it's not true at all. Like what league is he living in? The players are dictating everything left and right. And you don't want to get it to the point where a guy like, um, you know, the stars can do it, but you don't want to get to a point where a guy like Tobias Harris is, is calling the shots and all these players are holding franchises hostage. And so I yeah. think he's, he's going a little too overboard with his comments. Like, I get the the sentiment around the player, you know, teams can do whatever they want and they don't, ex, you know, expect the same. They expect different from the players in return. But I mean, come on, man. Like what the NBA already is such a star driven league. I don't, I don't get what the issue is. Yeah. I took it more about perception versus like what the teams are willing to do, because clearly at this point, the teams are going beyond playing ball, right? Like, the James Harden example is a perfect example where he openly quit on his team and they still let it go. And they still told him to trade him right away. They didn't even say, Hey, sit for a month. We're going to do it whenever it's right for us. They did it within 24 hours of that Lakers game. I think, and I've said this before, but we're in the era where everyone wants a hug. Everyone wants to feel like everything's equal. And I get that. And I get, there's a lot of general angst against authority and against sort of power and against certain leaders but at the same time, there are not going to be the same privileges and leverage afforded to employees as there are employers. I'm sorry. That's just the reality of the way it goes. Just because like, the players at the top are as famous as anybody really in the country, that doesn't mean that they necessarily, from top to bottom in a players association, can wield the kind of influence that the 30 billionaire NBA owners can. Now you can get into a whole broader point of why, like you know, what the social and capital structure is. That's not really relevant for what this is talking about. Which is ultimately, if your job is to fulfill the contract, then playing when you're available to play is half the battle from the player side, and paying a player for the contract that you've agreed to pay them for is the team side. Everything else is decision rights, and everything else is a leverage-based move. If Harden wasn't good enough his trade demand would fall on deaf ears. The fact that he's that good and would generate that kind of interest and that kind of offers from other teams gives him the ability to do this. Andre Drummond can't do that because Andre Drummond's not even that good. Now, let's also mention Andre Drummond is making $28 million this season. It's in his best interest not to play so that he's not hurt playing for a bad Cavs team because he ultimately wants to go to a team that has playoff aspirations, maybe has title aspirations. It's not like it's a solo one-way choice when stuff like this happens. The same thing happened with Blake Griffin on the same day. But because Blake Griffin isn't playing well, we're not really talking about it as much. And ultimately, the, the Cavs are playing, are paying Drummond the amount that they've agreed to pay him. What they choose to do, I really, I mean, 
yes, there's no loyalty in this business. And that, I guess, makes it okay to create trade demands when you want. But there's also a professionalism and a fulfillment of contract standpoint that I feel like gets ignored when we talk about this. Yeah. And it's not like Harden just quit on his team. I mean, he was going to clubs. He was, you know, going to uh, events where he literally caught COVID in the middle of a pandemic and then put his entire team at risk, right? So that's th- that case was very unique for the situation and doesn't reflect how we talk about this in every other aspect, which is we are pro player now. Like we, we want all of this to happen and we support them. I don't remember ever feeling like a owner was a victim in any situation. Right. Um, but I do think that the players being talked about as assets now is the place where we're getting to a little bit mm, not great uh, yeah. points of view where it's it's all about shipping things from one place to another, talking about them in terms of salaries as opposed to their actual attributes. Yeah. Um, you know, we don't want to get into the talk about them as property and that whole comment from Jackie McMullen a few weeks ago. But that, uh, that's where I feel like there's some, some weird issues of how we talk about players. Yeah. But uh, in these kind of trade demands, I don't see any, anything of what he's talking about. Yeah, and the other thing is like, who is he really mad? Is he mad at the media? Is he mad at us and the way we kind of look at these guys? Because the teams, ultimately, the way they treat these guys, like Kyrie walked out for yeah. two weeks. Sure, the media raked him over the coals, but the team was fine with it. Let it happen. Like these guys get these privileges. I do agree. We have to be careful with the tone we use and and um, how we talk about them and and as assets. But the sad thing is that's that's what NBA's become. It's become you know the smart teams need to treat these guys like assets, and and I think that rubs players the wrong way, right? Because you're you're looking at them as um, for their value, not for necessarily what they've done for you as a you know in the past. You're looking at them as a number. And if that number can fit under uh, another arbitrary number, or if you need to move it to get other assets that you deem more valuable. And that it is weird that they get talked about like that, but I don't know. Like that's just how we analyze the game. That's how the, the teams are evaluating the game. So I don't know what to do about that. Yeah, I, I guess I think there's a few points that you guys both brought up that made me. So there's a couple things that are in play here, right? One is that, you know, when we talk I think Draymond's issue was the perception and the way the fans and media react, which I think he was actually right about in that they still don't quite understand that this dichotomy is never fair towards the players. And so why would you support the owners over the very few players who have enough leverage to exercise that leverage, right? In a way that's gets them to the situation they want to get to. I think similarly, I wouldn't condone the way Harden went about it. I would, more so agree with the way Anthony Davis went about it, right? If you're going to compare those two situations. Secondly, to the point of the assets, it's a dangerous path. It's a slippery path because you start you start dehumanizing athletes in a way that's, you know, just because someone has money doesn't make them like not a target for any type of like negative emotion or that they can't feel any type of way or all is always peachy. I think it's just such a stupid way that we've perceived because like the problem is we've taken such a binary approach to to society 
everything is either all good or all bad, right? There's no middle ground. So if you're an athlete, you make a lot of money, then shut up and dribble and you have to always play and you always have to be happy because you're getting paid 20 million to dribble basketball. There's nothing in between that says why or how that might differ. Secondly, we've taken a binary approach to how we evaluate basketball. If you shoot threes and you get to the free throw line a lot and you have a high efficiency, you're a great player. If you don't do those things, you suck. Thirdly, I would actually add is that the money has become so big in the league, it's actually had a very negative, unintentional effect in parts one and two. Because you take a guy like Russell Westbrook, who made all NBA just last season. So he wasn't bad. I mean, you could argue that there's some clear issues with his game, especially this year, but he just made all NBA. But because he makes 41 million and plays a brand of basketball that is not conducive to the way teams or fans or media think about the game today, he sucks. He has to immediately be trash. He can't be anywhere in between. Similarly, the teams are also treating him like an asset because they got $41 million this year, plus another 80, 90 million the next two years committed to a guy like this. And they have to think about it more in that terms of that number than they are thinking about the player, who he is, what he can add to the team. So I think there's a bunch of confluence of factors that have really created like kind of an ugly way in which we interact with players and, and evaluate the game. How do you solve for that, right? Like the, the thing is, you look at Russ. Like, sure, we could be more empathetic towards the players and treat them, but does that mean that as a Wizards fan, I want to keep John Wall's contract, or as no, a Rockets fan, I want to keep West? Right? So it's, I don't think you I solve don't know. for it. I think, it's, it. I think it's just one of the, the one. It's 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 a negative that I'm sure the league is happy to put up with, given the influx of cash to both owners and players. And ultimately, people are mean. Like, people are assholes. Like, yeah. you go on Twitter, everyone's always mean to each other. That's not, like, this only exen- like exemplifies what we already know to be true to one another, much less multimillionaire athletes. I mean, yeah. I think this is a problem. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Justin. Uh, I would totally going to go off in a different direction, so please <laughs> go ahead. Well, no, the last thing I was going to say is, like, you know, Justin, you said that, like, at the end of the day, the the owners aren't really the victim. We don't think of the owners as victims. Right. I think us as fans see ourselves as victims and you can argue maybe we shouldn't. We shouldn't care so much. But ultimately, sports like you're you're a fan of a team and you're loyal to that team. And so when a player leaves in, in a way or demands his way out, like of course, you're going to get frustrated. That's just the nature of sports fandom and how we treat it. Now, uh, should we be more empathetic towards the fact that players have, you know, career decisions, family decisions they need to make and they can't just stick with a team because you want them there? Sure, that's true. But. I think that that gut reaction is never going to go away. Like as much as Draymond wants to talk about, oh, they, these guys shouldn't be treated like that. Harden shouldn't be treated like that. It's hard as a fan not to have that kind of reaction when, you know, whether it's right or not, you this is why you watch basketball. You watch to support your team. And when one of your players leaves in such an unceremonious fashion, like that's what ends up happening, right? 100%. So I don't know. I, I don't know the, the solution. I just think that, no matter what, there's always going to be that element of no matter even in the perfect world, there's going to be that element of fans reacting that way towards players because we ultimately want them to play for our teams for our entertainment, which right sucks that it's like. Well, that. And the question for both players and the league is going to be, and I we've talked about this before, but is the player movement good for the league? And when I say the league, I mean players as well, right? Because they share in revenue. They're they're it's it's a unique employee employer relationship. They have equity. Um, and, and so their salary cap is determined by how much money the league makes. So 
is this kind of player movement good or bad long-term for the league? And if it's not good, then they're going to have to solve for it. If it is good, I think everything else that comes with it is an unfortunate consequence of overall a net positive uh, development. Yeah, this is part of a long-term trend that started in our basements when we were doing Madden franchises and (laughs) NBA 2K franchises, which is we started playing the game in terms of seasons, not in games. Like we didn't even play the individual games. We just simulated the the entire season and built the roster, right? And now there's even like GM mode, there's owner mode for all of these games. And the conversation around the league has turned from micro, you know, what happened last night into macro, what happened last year, what's going to happen in the next five years. Uh, And so like interest in conversation is up in terms of the NBA, but viewership of individual games is down. And all of this is all part of the same discussion, which is now it's all fitting pieces into a puzzle and thinking about, you know, your three and five year strategy as opposed to, you know, winning tomorrow versus the Bulls or whatever it is. And it kind of all ties together in my mind. 100%. Like it reminds me of Harrison Barnes, right? He had this insanely good, like five, 10 game stretch. And Harrison Barnes is probably like, I'm playing really well, best basketball of my career, you know, for the Kings. Kings fans are like, his trade value has never been higher. Shipping to Boston now, like, you can get a couple of picks. Like, and it's it, man, like, for these players keep playing good basketball. Yeah, it must be crazy. Like, the moment they're playing their best, and then the fans are like, oh, now we can get so much more value for him, right? It's just a crazy concept. Yeah, I think it's a good point. As soon as a guy's overall rating dropped one or two points in Madden or 2K, he's on the trade block. See you later. <laughs> we were the first, like, you know, early sellers. <laughs> you like, hey, this random QB we drafted in the third round, <laughs> you know, Brent Smith or whatever. <laughs> yeah. He's but, dropped from 89 to 88. Let's ship him. <laughs> um. All right, so this has been a lot of fun. I think there's a bunch of stuff, like you said, the macro level view that we've taken is is front and center in a lot of ways. So, Justin, thank you for coming on. Um, your inaugural uh, appearance on Thick and Thin. It hopefully won't be the last, but uh, appreciate it, man. Uh, it was good awesome. to have you. Awesome. Yeah, it's great having Thanks, you on. Thanks, guys. All right, so for, for those listening, please rate, re- review, and subscribe to Thick and Thin on all major podcast platforms. Please email us at thickandthinhoops at gmail.com, and we will talk to you next week.